Amen, amen, amen. Well, you may be seated. Welcome uh, again to Mercy Fellowship. So glad you're with us here in person or with us uh, online. Just, just glad that you guys could gather with us. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And here at Mercy Fellowship, we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. That means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so it is, it is, it's so good to be back uh, this week. Last week, Matt Nickel uh, preached uh, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it was awesome. Uh, my wife and I got to spend a weekend um, in this mythical land called Bend, Oregon. Uh, and, and out there in Bend, Oregon, um, I say it's a mythical land because if you thought for a moment and, and maybe even closed your eyes and imagined that every Walmart in Snohomish County was like a craft brewery and that every pawn shop on State Avenue was a hipster coffee shop. That's Bend. It's like a real place. It exists. And so it's fun to get to visit there, but just awesome to get to, to, to come back um, here and be uh, here at Mercy Fellowship. And so we're just going to continue the series that we've been in since the beginning of the year uh, called Endure, Finding uh, Strength in Weakness, Courage in Weakness. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn there. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, I want you to ask yourself, um, what wears out? Or maybe what aspect of the world is, is wearing you out? What is it that we put our faith in or that we, we, we build our lives on or think has value, but when pressure uh, is mounted on it, it gets crushed or it fails or it just doesn't last or doesn't endure? See, what we see about ourselves and experience in the world is not always enduring and strong and valuable. And, and then there's certain points where we begin to, to age, where we're no longer like looking forward to birthdays, but like looking backward at pictures of maybe how we looked when we were younger, right? Where we don't see greater glory, but we think this, this is it. Like this is as good as it's going to get. And next year won't be as good. And the year after, definitely not as good, Right? And there's certain times when we're journeying uh, through life where we're trying to endure and, and, and we experience difficulty and we seem weak or not stronger. We experience loss and we lose vision of what's actually valuable. And so when we begin to rely on things that will wear out, things that are transient, what ultimately happens is we just get discouraged and eventually despondent. And so uh, if we are going to actually endure, and we said that, you know, endures to go through a long journey, even including difficulty that leads to a better future. If we're going to endure, then we need to build our lives, maybe even rest our lives on a foundation that's stronger than we are, and that will actually not just prepare us for eternity, but will actually endure for eternity. And so we need to rely on someone who's eternal if we're going to be built to last, not just through difficulty. Because I don't know about you. I don't want to just make it through difficulty. I want to experience glory. So if we're going to do that, we need to, to make sure that we are enduring for eternity. So turn your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses um, 7 through 12 first, and we'll, uh, we'll read it and we'll talk about it. It says this. This is Paul writing to a church seeking to endure. And he says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, 
but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, let's talk about this. Right away in these verses, we see that there's a weak vessel and there's a worthy treasure. And so I want to, let's just start with what the treasure is because I don't want us to get too distracted. If you look back uh, in chapter four, verse six, he says, for God has said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into verse seven. So what he's saying is the treasure that's being carried around is the gospel, the good news of God saving his people through Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's the glory of God in the face of Jesus shining in us and through us. And he says, we've been given this good news. You've been given this good news of who Jesus is. You get to possess this treasure and you get to carry this treasure to the world. Only what, what is carrying the treasure, isn't that amazing? In fact, when you look at the jar, jars of clay, um, I just, I gotta get this out of the way. If you grew up in the church in the 90s, and I say jars of clay, I know what you're thinking of. There's a song called Flood. Uh, it, was, it even made it onto secular radio. It's such a big deal. Um, so let's just set that aside, okay? Not what we're talking about today, but it just, it had to be said, otherwise some of us that are in our 30s and 40s would be, just be distracted the rest of the sermon. Okay, back to it. What's the jars of clay? Well, in the Middle East, jars of clay were these, these common vessels that were, they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. They were as, as plentiful as, as Starbucks cups. They were as plentiful as, you know, masks are right now. They're just kind of all over the place. And so he's saying, hey, there's this amazing world universe changing treasure. It's being carried in like a disposable Starbucks cup. And you're like, oh, that doesn't seem to make uh, a lot of sense. See, these cups, these jars, rather, they were cheap, uh, they were usable, uh, and, and unlike metal containers, they would just never break. Or glass containers, that they would like melt down the glass and recycle it. If, if something happened to a jar of clay, even actually for the religious people, if, if it was ceremonially unclean, so think about sin in your life, that if you're ever broken, if you're ever wounded, if you've ever sinned, what happens to you if you're that jar of clay? You're discarded. That's it. There's no more use for you. You're, you're, like, you're a useless vessel. And yet he says, no, here, these jars of clay, these common daily use, they, they're, they, they're, they're still important because they're formed by a creator, right? Like a jar of clay is something that it's, it has a creator for a purpose, but they're fragile, and so we break, and our lives are temporary. And so it's these weak vessels, he says, that are filled with a worthy treasure. And so you think about this. It's, it's like a Tupperware carrying around a, a brick of gold. Like what's inside is actually valuable. Or, or rather, maybe, maybe think about it this way, right? If you've uh, gotten engaged or you've been around people who, who get engaged, um, right? And, and, and the bride-to-be gets that wedding ring and she goes and she visits all of her friends. Nobody's like, show us the box, right? You know, you get down on the knee, you open up the box. Like, does anybody still have that, the box, right? That they got married? Like, 
Maybe you do tucked away somewhere. Like maybe if it's from Tiffany's, right, then it's like really special. Um, we, uh, I, I went to the Shane Company in Alderwood, open Mondays and Fridays till eight, Saturdays and Sundays till five, right? Been in there. I, I mean, it's, it's just there. And I told them I was there despite the ad. And anyway, they, they, they were great. It was my friend in the diamond business. So um, we, you know, you go there, right? But it's what's inside that's valuable. It's what's inside that's brilliant. It's what's inside that's enduring. Because I'll tell you, I do not know where that box from the Shane Company is. But I know where that ring is. Because it's enduring. Because it's, it's, it's worthy of treasure. It's, it's brilliant. It's captivating. And so I don't want us to hear this wrongly, right? We're like, oh, we're the jars of clay, right? We're just a crushed Starbucks cup. We're, you know, we're not worthy or anything. No, no, don't hear this wrongly. As I said, a jar of clay is crafted by a creator for a purpose. You and me, we were crafted by a creator for a purpose. We are worthy. All people are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And so we're also whole people. So he's not just saying, well, you know, your body doesn't matter. No, it does. Or your soul's only what's valuable. Well, you know, it is valuable. No, the point of this whole analogy, he gives to us. He says it right in verse 7, that the point of this analogy isn't to say that somehow humanity isn't worthwhile or that we aren't important to God. No, he says the reason for this analogy is the contrast between weak humanity compared to the worthiness of our God. So he's not saying you're not valuable. Know that you're valuable to God because you have been made. You and me and we are the only things in the entire created universe that are made in the image and likeness of God. That's why we believe that human life has value and is worthy of dignity and respect. And so he wants us to know, not that we're not valuable, but he wants us to be directed to and understand who and what is truly valuable where real power comes from, where real endurance comes from. And quite simply, it doesn't come from us. We're not the source of power. We're not even the source of our own value. God is. He's redirecting us back to God. And so the treasure is in us and it's carried by us uh, and we are these vessels full of this treasure, he says, of glory and power. And, And what's great about this is that we see in these next verses that the treasure in us is actually, yeah, it's for us, but it's also for us to endure on the journey that we have on the outside. So the treasure inside helps us deal with our journey outside. Because he says outside this vessel is a world of difficulty, a world of affliction. Actually, when it says in verse eight, afflicted in every way, I want you to take that every way phrase and apply it to each of the next four things he talks about because that's that's how it breaks down in the original language. So he's talking about a comprehensive affliction. So that means that there's not a type of pain or challenge or difficulty or circumstances that he's not addressing here. So if you think you come in this morning with your unique flavor and sauce of difficulty, know when he's talking about enduring through it, he's talking about your difficulty too. And so he says four things, and I'll go through them quickly. Number one, he says that we're afflicted and not crushed. 
Afflicted also translates hard-pressed. It's talking about a growing intensity of external forces, external pressure to what's going on in your life. Uh, it's an overwhelming affliction. And so if you think back to these jars of clay uh, with these treasures inside that, that then were strong enough to endure, because think about um, just like, like a, a vessel that is weak, maybe even think about like that Starbucks cup, or rather think about this. Think about like, like a pop can or a beer, beer can, right? If it's empty, how easy is that thing to crush, right? A kid could do it with his hands, right? Like, don't do it with your head. I saw that in a movie once. Didn't go well, right? Um, so don't do that. But it, it crushes easily. But when it's full of something, well, it, it's harder to crush, right? And then even like if it's frozen or what's in there is solid, then it doesn't matter how much pressure you put on the outside, it's not going to be crushed because what is inside of it is so much stronger than the pressure that's coming from the outside. So he said, we're going to face being crushed on the outside, or rather hard-pressed on the outside, but that treasure that is within us is so much stronger that no amount of affliction on the outside can overwhelm the treasure that's been put inside us in Christ. It can't break. Author Ernest Hemingway um, kind of talks about this in some regards, and he says, Um, famously, the world breaks everyone and afterwards many are strong at the broken places. See, there's this concept that we all know that that affliction's coming, that pressure external is coming. What's it going to produce in us? All right, number two. He says we are perplexed but not driven to despair. See, perplexed describes this feeling of being confused. Okay, yeah, there there is that. It also uh, translates into uh, being cornered Nowhere to go. It also, even, even in that cornered sense, being condemned. And so if you find yourself like, looking around at the world, I don't understand what's happening. Anybody in the last 12 months a tad bit perplexed with the world? Anyone a little bit confused? I mean, guys, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of 14 days to flatten the curve. Anybody a little confused? Anyone feeling a little cornered at different points? And he's saying when you're in that moment of not being able to see a path of safety forward, you don't know the way out. You don't know how this is going to get better. When we're suffering, we look at the world and we can be so disoriented. We can even be despairing. We wonder at a certain point, what is the purpose of all of this? And if so, if you are driven to despair, that's okay. Because it might mean you're being realistic about the circumstances you're in. However, If you're cornered and driven back to despair, and you're like, there's no way out. I don't know how this goes. You don't have to fall into a place of total despair and hopelessness because when we remember the good news of the gospel, we know simply this. If the story looks hopeless, the story's not over. So we can always have hope. Right, think about the Israelites leaving Egypt and they're up against the Red Sea and they've got an army coming at them and you've got sea on one side, army at the other, like this is it. And then God opens a way and leads them through and then even swallows up their enemies. So if you're hopeless, just know it means the story's not finished yet. God will open a way. God always opens a way. All right, number three. He says, persecuted, but not forsaken. 
we might need to do a sermon series or a sermon at least on what persecution is and what it isn't um, in this uh, day and age, but it's the concept of being hounded by those who do not want your harmony, but they want your harm. And so it's this concept of just, just hounds coming after you, relentlessly being pursued by people and systems and structures that do not desire your flourishing. And so I, I, what happens is when we have enjoyed or lived in a period of time in our lives where we felt favored or just maybe even felt comfortable, that when that favor falls or that comfort ends, then we begin to think for a second, I wonder why that happened. Oh, it must be because either I've sinned or I've done something wrong. That's possible. Sin has consequences. Sin hurts. But then I think usually we go to, oh, if I'm suffering, it's because God's forgotten about me. Or worse yet, God's rejected me. And so he says, no, you're going to face being hounded. You're going to face relentlessly being pursued. And yet... Jesus was the one who was forsaken in our place. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the answer to that question is so that we wouldn't have to be. So that we are not forsaken because we have faith in a God who says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. All right, number four. Struck down but not destroyed. Struck down is a military term. Right, we've all seen this in the battle scenes of, of movies or TV shows, right? There, you know, it's, it's a big, nasty, chaotic battle, and, and the hero, or at least the person that you, you, know, you want to see win, right? They, they, are, they are struck down. They are on the ground, and, and, and the enemy stands over them. It is a place more, more hopeless than being cornered. I mean, the total enemy has an advantage over them. Uh, they're struck down in battle. They have the advantage. They are ready for the kill. Game over except it's not. He says, when it's hopeless and depression overwhelm us and we don't see how we can get back up and we should be done and dead and defeated, but instead, because we have a gospel that includes death and resurrection, it means that when we feel like we are struck down, we are not defeated, that is the moment that God is preparing our deliverance. So we don't have to fear. We can continue to endure. And so if we want to see this tension lived out, I mean, God, this, is, this, is, you know, this is tough stuff, right? It's like there are less challenges, but, there's all, but it's not going to be this ultimate destruction. If we want to see this lived out, we look to Jesus' life and death, right? There's these fourfold comprehensive trials we just went through. Jesus did all these. Hard-pressed and crushed? Check. Jesus went through that perplexed and despairing? Well, I mean, look at the, the garden. He's, he's, Jesus is he's saying, is there another way, God? Can we do something different? I feel a bit cornered here. He's sweating blood in existential agony. Has Jesus been perplexed and forsaken? Check. Okay, what about persecuted? Rather, persecuted and forsaken. Well, religious authorities are coming after him. Civil authorities are coming after him, and it ends in his public execution where even his own disciples who rolled with him for a couple years said, I don't know that guy. Jesus has been persecuted. Jesus has been forsaken. Check. Struck down and destroyed. Better believe it. Struck down on the cross. 
dead, buried, in the ground, game over. Jesus has suffered all of these things. And because Jesus has suffered all of them comprehensively, then when we carry Jesus' death with us, it means that when we are suffering, we remember, oh, Jesus has already gone through this for us. Jesus already suffered the defeat for us. And so at those moments that we're suffering, we're not far from God, but we're actually very, very near to our Savior because he's been through these things for us. We remember the death of Jesus for us and we're empowered by the resurrection of Jesus' life given to us. And so we carry uh, Jesus' life of healing and righteousness uh, and, and communion with God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so we're never alone. We're never for, forsaken. And so uh, we can endure, even experience suffering and sacrificial lives. I know that's a tough sell. Follow Jesus, suffering and sacrifice. Who wants to sign up? Baptism's on Easter. We'll do it, right? But that is part of the journey. And if you're like, well, I don't, I don't know that I like that at all. I don't know that's, that, that's, that's worth it or, or if that's even valuable. Well, I think it's important for us to have an understanding of our suffering having a purpose. We're going to get into this more in a little bit in a couple of the verses, but, but, but suffering is not always just an unpleasant part of the journey for us to get through. Sometimes suffering is actually the vehicle that God uses to actually transform us into who he's meant us to be. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this Japanese art called uh, kintsugi, and, and it's, um, you know, think about a, a white bowl or white vessel that's just plain, right? And just like these jar, vessels of jars of clay that we're talking about, um, and, and if one of them breaks, or, or if they, you know, anytime you have a, a bowl, at least, I mean, at least in our house, right, with all, all our kids and everything, like, they're going to get chipped, they're going to get scratched, they're going to get dropped, and, and instead of those being discarded, right, imagine just a plain white bowl, what happens is this, every time there's a break, they fill the cracks with gold. I mean, I don't know about you, but a plain white bowl, not interesting. That? That's beautiful, right? I mean, I, I think that, that was like 150 bucks on Etsy. Like, I, that's, that's where I found the photo anyway, right? Like, it's, it's this amazing thing. So instead of what we try to do, hide our scars, hide our wounds, what we do is we try to super glue ourselves. Anyone ever, anyone ever seen anything be better after being super glued? No. It's terrible. So rather than hiding our scars, hiding our wounds, our journeys of suffering actually get highlighted as part of the process that God's used to actually bring us more beauty and more glory. I mean, if there's only one small little crack, it's eh. But this, this bowl has suffered. We are vessels who've suffered. If you're a vessel who's suffered, know that in Christ, he is filling your wounds with gold because it's not your wounds that heal you. No, the Bible tells us it's his wounds that heal us. And so he uses our suffering to actually lead us on a journey to, to show that our great brokenness can lead to greater beauty. And so I just encourage you in whatever you're going through to not just try to avoid the pain. I mean, don't go find it but don't pretend it's not there. Don't pretend, you know, we do this thing like, oh no, it's okay now. Or, uh, you know, you're having a conversation 
about something less than ideal, and then like the last word just ruins it. Whatever. Right? Anyway, blah, 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 you know, you know whatever. It's like, well, no, feel the pain when you've been cracked and broken. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's life-giving. And he turns our brokenness into beauty. Because of our great hope, we carry in us the death and resurrection of Jesus. We cannot be defeated even when we endure distress. All right. Next verses. Because it, like, as we go through these journeys of suffering and brokenness and being restored and renewed, uh, I want us to understand how, how do we have uh, gratitude in the midst of this? And Paul says this in verses 13 through 15. He says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed, and so I spoke. That's that quote from Psalm 116. We also believe, and so we also speak. 14, knowing that he who raised Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This gets back to what comes out of us when we're hard-pressed. What's inside of us will come out of us when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when we're facing trials, when we're facing difficulties. And so it is so easy to say, I've got faith in Jesus alone, right? I know the gospel. I grew up in church. I know the Bible. I've got verses quoted. But where do you go when you're suffering? Or rather, what comes out of you when you're suffering? That will show you what you've actually put your faith in, what you're actually hoping to endure, where it gets so difficult in suffering to see God's past provision, to see his current presence, to remember his future promises. So what do you confess or trust in when things are difficult? What we've heard, the narrative that we've told ourselves, the narrative that we've adopted, is what we're going to process and come out of us uh, when things get difficult. He says, what we speak is what we believe. And here's the problem is that we've put our, our faith in so many things that are temporary. And so when there's massive cultural shifts, when there's political upheaval, when there's economic changes, all of those things happen. And we're like, ugh, this is not how this is supposed to be. And maybe you're right. Maybe we're, we're right at times to, to, to feel this way. But we need to have faith in something that transcends current events because current events are always changing. The target's always moving on what's right and wrong in our culture. There's a war on truth, <laughs> seemingly. Well, I'd say right now, I think that's so actually, uh, I was convicted as I thought about this earlier this week, that oh, there's a war on truth right now. Well, read your Bible. Um, from the beginning, there was a war on truth. There's been a war on truth forever. So we got to see through that fog a little bit. And so what happens is, um, you know, we're in great need and we, and we want to we be united. We don't want to be alone. And then the world serves us up a unity that is useless. So we hear from celebrities and politicians, we're in this together. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, you can just like get on a plane and go somewhere. Or, yeah, I mean, I guess we're in it together, but, like, you've got, like, you know, a governor's mansion and a house. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're all in this together, but you got paid and I didn't, right? And so, all of a sudden, we look around and we're like, are, are we in this together? 
then we hear, oh, no, unity, unity, unity. And we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You know, like a, like a Coke commercial from the 70s. Not a Coke commercial from right now. Okay, we'll leave that alone. And so we get this unity that's useless because it's not built on anything that's lasting or unity looks like you agree with us and do what we say. And that's uniformity, not unity. And so we, we start to look around and we, we say, oh my gosh, we are so divided. Like, well, we're all Washingtonians. Oh yeah, <laughs> we all agree on everything here in Washington. We're all Americans. <laughs> no. And we see how shallow it is. And we're like, that, that's, those aren't going to be bonds that hold us together. That's not going to endure for eternity. We're like, well, at least we don't suffer any of those divisions in the church. Sadly, I've got a lot of friends that are pastors uh, in this region, uh, across the states here, even into Canada. And, and weekly, as I, as I talk to these guys, the thing that brings them the most grief in this past season is not having to deal with all of the different restrictions and all that different stuff and trying to navigate how do we do these things. But what hurts their souls the most, and I echo, is the divisions that form within the church over policies, over politics, over cultural things, over things that are truly temporary and transient. And so Paul here is saying, we have the same spirit of faith. And I know there's times you look around, maybe even you look around this room or maybe you look around on social media and you're like, do we? Like, I don't know if we have the same spirit of faith. I mean, you voted for that guy, whoever that guy is. Because we're focusing on the things that divide us and not being reminded of the key truths that truly unite us. And so we hear same spirit of faith and, and it just kind of rings hollow and it's because of what our faith is in. And so again, I ask you, what story are you telling? What flavors your discussions? What are you believing? Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And the reason he says that is because whatever narrative we've internalized, we will tell ourselves. And so it, it, when it's hopeless and when it's over, we feel hounded or we feel forgotten, or when the world seems stronger than the one who created the world, then we fall into despair and we fall into disunity. And so he refocuses on what's true. That's why we, look, we looked at Psalm 116 as we opened our service. I encourage you, go back and read Psalm 116 and you just see that, that there's a, a God who, who in the midst of suffering has brought relief, he's brought deliverance, he's strengthened us so that we can continue on. Even when people are terrible, it says God is good, God hears, God cares, God acts, God saves. And so we can rely on the fact that God is worthy and powerful and true. And so Paul's saying, we speak what we believe and so we are only gonna speak what is true and what is right and what is good. And so what is true is that God in the gospel has given us rest from our conflict so that we can respond with gratitude. God has given us grace so that we can respond with gratitude. And so the shared spirit of faith leads us to gratitude. And so gratitude is not something that happens on its own. Gratitude is a response to something that's already happened. And so Paul says, hey, We've got a lot of things to be grateful for because God who raised Jesus from the dead is also gonna raise us 
from the dead. And so he goes to the resurrection power of God. So yes, you know, we're going to take communion in a few moments and we will remember Jesus' death for us in our place. But heaven help us if we only have a gospel that is Jesus' sacrifice. It isn't also Jesus' victory and resurrection. But I'll tell you more than this. I want more than just resurrection. I'll tell you what I mean. Resurrection is good news, but it's not great news. Here's why. If the movie Groundhog's Day has taught us anything, it's the endless life without transformation and without purpose is not heaven, that's hell. And so he doesn't just say, hey, we're gonna resurrect it and be alive. Like imagine if, if, if you went through a period of suffering, a period even of persecution, and you die, and you wake back up right now. Wanna keep going? Of course not. No, he says, here, I love this, in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, he will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you. So it's not just individual. Yes, we, we come to the Lord individually. God pursues us individually. He brings us together as a people. And then he says, we're going to raise you from the dead and, and for the purpose of being in God's presence. That's the destination. Not just eternal life, but eternal life with God, with the God of all comfort, with the God of all peace. That's something to actually look forward to. That can lead us to thanksgiving. And so we, we see here that in Christ Jesus, God's resurrection power is used for restored presence. So if you feel crushed, if you feel forsaken, if you feel destroyed, know that in resurrection, it's in God's presence. And that should be a comfort for us. This grace comes to us and it goes through us. And, and so we can know that God's glory, when you think about God's goodness, we see it marshaled for our sake. He, he doesn't even leave it to chance. Verse 15, for it's all for what? Your sake. My sake, our sake, God has acted for us so that we can actually be people, even in the midst of suffering and affliction, who are not in total despair and grumbling, but know that we've been delivered and will be delivered so that we can have gratitude and then we can be gracious to the world around us so that God's glory is multiplied as those who are grateful to God for his grace increases. That's the treasure we're given and that's what we get to give to the world in these vessels of jars of clay. And so what is in us is so much better than what's outside of us. And we come to these last verses here in this section and, and we, we still wrestle with this tension of, yeah, yeah, but what's outside versus what's inside? So because of God's resurrecting power, because God has risen Jesus from the dead, because God will raise us from the dead, bring us together, unified, not with unity, but unified around Christ so that we can be in God's presence, not in the wilderness, but in new heavens and new earth. Because of all these things, verse 16 says, so we do not lose heart. That translates to we will not faint in our race. We keep going. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day 
Verse 17, guys, I think these are gonna be hard words for us. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Outer decay, inner renewal. There's this place of tension again. Brings us back to this place of tension and because God saves, because he brings resurrection, because he brings reconciliation uh, in, in our disunity and, and in our deterioration, we do not lose heart. And um, there's this concept in here that he's being realistic about our trajectory, that there is a point in your life where outer decay seems to be more evident than inner renewal. John Calvin, the great um, uh, reformer, says it this way in his commentary in this section. It's a long quote, so stick with me on this. He says, For as we are too much taken up with the present life, so long as everything goes on to our mind, the Lord on that account is by taking away from us little by little the things that we're engrossed with calls us back to meditate on a better life. Thus, therefore, it is necessary that the condition of the present life should decay in order that the inward man or, or woman may be in a flourishing state because in proportion as the earthly life declines does the heavenly life advance, at least in believers. So this is not a universal promise. Like you need to know that the hope of this the hope of enduring when, when outer decay actually means inner renewal is not just on our own. It's only if you're filled with that treasure. It's only if your faith and hope is in Christ Jesus. Because if your faith and hope is in yourself, then you are just a cracked vessel that will eventually get crushed. And so when our hope is in Christ, we don't have condemnation, but we have courage and comfort and weakness where there's this paradox of what we see versus what is true. Yes, our outer bodies are wasting away, but it says God is renewing our souls each and every day so that as you, as you age and all of a sudden you start seeing gray hairs in your beard that you can't pick out anymore, or all of a sudden you go on a run and, and you hurt longer after the run than, than how long you were running. These are very specific examples, by the way. In whatever's happening that doesn't look like more and more glory, we actually get consolation that what's happening inside is a renewal that far exceeds that. Because our lives seem long and as wrinkles grow and vitality diminishes and endurance fades, we can be comforted in knowing that what we see before is slipping away, God is doing more to transform us. And it's for a purpose, especially in suffering. I mean, he says it right here, light and momentary? Anybody ever in the midst of suffering on your own just said, this is light and momentary? Of course not, because you wouldn't call it suffering. Maybe an annoyance, maybe a frustration, but not suffering. He's saying, no, no, in actual suffering, because, I mean, if you don't know Paul's story, read through the book of Acts and see what his ministry looked like. Paul's suffering was never light and never momentary. He's getting, he's getting the tar beat out of him from town to town to town. 
He's practically homeless. He's poor. He's constantly dealing with a bunch of church drama. And he's frustrated all the time. And yet he says his suffering is light and momentary. He's not minimizing the suffering. We don't marginalize suffering. Like, don't throw this verse at somebody and be like, well, whatever you're going through is light and momentary. Like, whatever emoji they send back to you, you earned on that text, right? No, it says it's light and momentary when it's compared to the eternal weight of glory that we're going to get to experience. All of those breaks, all of those wounds we are suffering, yes, God is filling them with gold like that bowl. It's part of the journey, but it doesn't mean it's not painful. But it means the glory we're going to experience, when it talks about eternal weight, that means that the glory we're going to experience is substantive. That that which leads us to, to pain and despair is temporary. That means it has an end. The good news about temporary is that ends. But the glory, that's eternal. That is unending. So it might be unseen for this season. It might be unseen until we see Jesus face to face. But that does not mean that it's not unending and that it's not inexplicably greater than the suffering that we're enduring. So no matter how hard it gets, we can remember that that glory is greater that the suffering isn't senseless, but it's preparing us. So as we experience it, it doesn't feel light and momentary. It feels crushing and unending. But then we can see some hope. Or we get reminded that what we're experiencing and what we see is not as true as what is unseen. We see affliction and death and decay but what is unseen is perseverance and glory and life and renewal and God's presence. And so the hidden treasure we carry with us is these gold veins of healing. The people around us, like, like today, no matter how disunified we are about anything else, what unifies us is the death of Jesus in our place. In just a minute, we're going to take communion. And when you do, you're not just remembering what Jesus has done for you, but you're remembering that all of us who have our faith and trust in Christ Jesus, that we are all unified into one body. There is so much we disagree on. There is so much that divides us. But the blood and body of Jesus brings us together. And so we praise God for choosing to fill these broken vessels with his great treasure. We ask the Holy Spirit to give us endurance in the midst of suffering, that we grieve when we suffered. Go ahead and grieve when you suffered, but also give gratitude to God who has promised resurrection and eternal glory with him and with his people when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.